right, Lord willing, we're coming through. Yeah. Here. Okay, good. Praise God. Um, well, uh, happy 4th of July weekend to y'all. Happy Lord's Day. Yes. And that. Um, and uh, freedom and liberty is going to be kind of the theme for today. And we're going to do it through Isaiah 45. So that's where we've been. We're in Isaiah 45. Um, we've been going slowly through these uh, few verses here. Um, we will be covering 15. Um, let's see. Excuse me. We will be covering 17 through 19. And so it's the same title. But the title could have also been um, The Liberty of God. Um, and it's, it's an important thing. And one of the things that I want to remember, as even though it is, it is Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, it's a day that we're going to celebrate and commemorate communion. I also want to remember, um, for us to remember, that um, in the founding of this country, uh, because of all the craziness that's going on, and if you don't know, I don't know where you've been, because it's pretty evident everywhere, right? Um, uh, just the fact that there's movies that are out that are, that are um, actually ex uh, expressing what's going on in life. You know, it's, uh, it's crazy, the, the things that are going on in the world. Right now in the world, just so that you know, with all the stuff that we hear about slavery two or three hundred years ago, however long it was, the founding of the country, there are more people enslaved today, right now as we speak, than there's ever been in the entire history of the world. Today. And that's something that we just don't think about. It doesn't affect us in ways that we, we think. And because it's not a slavery where people are actually enchained or on some kind of plantation or, or whatever. It's right out in the open. And I'm going to say it. It may get us in trouble, but I don't care. Um, I think the government is behind a lot of it. I think there's a lot of this going on, and they're perpetuating a lot of these things. I mean, how do 80,000 kids go missing from the border? We're talking minors. How do they just go missing into the ether of the United States of America and who knows where else in the world? And we know that. It's on record. Um, how do they just go missing? Well, the government's in control of that. And there's a certain administration, one, in my opinion that is not legitimate, is the one behind it. So that being said, I want to open up today with uh, something that I've read before, but I want to, uh, I think it's important for us to remember these things because this, this country, as, as um, some would not want us to know, this country was founded as a Christian nation. John Jay, our first uh, Chief Justice, he proclaimed that. He said that this country was founded on the Christian principle of the gospel. He was a very Christian man. Most of these guys that were here, uh, despite what the schools tell you, they weren't just deists. When you read their letters that they wrote between each other, and you can find these things, they're, they're, they're out there in the, you just research it yourself, you can look at some of their letters. They don't speak as deists. They speak as though they have a personal knowledge and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so um, our Declaration of Independence was, was written at a time when um, this despot from England was trying to impose his reign, his monarchy over the states, which we were part of that. 
But they got to a point where say, they said that this is uh, taxation without representation. He's doing things now. He's stepped over the line. And so I want to read some of these, uh, uh, some of the, uh, just a, a couple portions of the uh, Declaration of Independence. Because it is that, that weekend that we celebrate that. And it's not just about the United States and it's not about patriotism and all those things. Those things are good and fine. But what it's really about, it's about liberty. It's about freedom. And ultimately, these men understood that freedom, true freedom, and true liberty was found only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that was the hope that they had for this nation. Um, we have many of them that wrote that, that the, the, the Constitution that we have, that it is for a godly and moral people. And any people that is not a godly and a moral people, it will find it difficult to constrain that kind of a people. Because it was written with the understanding that most of the people at the time were indeed Christians. And so despite what the, uh, um, the universities teach and what schools teach, there is history. And, and by the way, um, there's, there's a movement uh, that's going um, about, and I think it's an important thing for you to actually get books, older books, books about history especially for your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandchildren. To gather them on your own, to make sure you have some of these supplied, because they're going to be teaching different things. They already are. They've already uh, made, uh, they've rewritten history to, for these kids. Why, why do you think kids are coming out hating America, hating the place that they've grown up in, hating their parents, for goodness sakes? Because that's what the schools are doing right now. They're indoctrinating children that way. So do that. Teach your kids cursive. Don't let the schools not teach it. Teach your grandkids cursive. There's cool books that are out there so that they can learn how to do these things. And if you remember when we were going to school, every classroom that I can remember had the green band of all the cursive letters all the way around the top. So even if you weren't being taught, you could see it and you could just... Because I was just curious to see if I could do some of those things and I remember practicing that. So it just, it's just there for them as a reminder. But this country was founded in freedom and liberties. And that's what we're here to celebrate. That's what we gather on Sundays to do. We are to be reminded that God is holy and that, that we are sinful people. But it's also to celebrate the liberties that we have in Christ. Um, Paul says in the New Testament that it was for freedom's sake that Christ came to free us. That's what he came for. Free us from what? From our slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to sin. That's what he came to do. That's the primary thing. This country is founded on that principle. Liberties are not given by our government. And we're going to read that. And that's why I wanted to read that, to remind us of that. I know most of you know that, uh, but this also goes out uh, online, I think. So, um, and if we are out there so people can hear, and people from other countries. There's, there's a reason why, if this country's so terrible, um, the question that always lingers out there is, well, if this country is so bad, why are there so many millions of people wanting to come to this country and not to those countries? Right? It's just, it's just common sense logic. It's like, well, if those other countries were so great, why, why aren't they going there? Because they know that there's something different about this country. And it doesn't have to do with us, because we're all sinners. <laughs> We're all stained with sin. We're all terrible people. It, you know, there's no one good but God alone. 
in spite of what some crazy people teach. Um, but the, they come because of the freedoms and the liberties they have. There's hope. There's hope that they can make something of themselves. And that's the one thing that this country provides more than anything. And that's the way that God instituted. When you read the scriptures, you see that God, God does um, provide for that. He provides that we should be hardworking people, that we should uh, attain certain things, and we should work towards that. It shouldn't be given to us, right? We're not socialists. We're not communists. We are Americans. We love freedom. We love liberty. Sometimes a little bit to our detriment, but we do. And because of what God has given us, and it's because of God, and that's what I want the focus to be. It's not about the the country itself. It's about what God instituted, what God did. And so I want to read what, uh, what was written for, for this country, the declaration uh, by the representatives of the United States of America. And one of the things that I, I want to uh, um, remind you, some of the things that I'm going to read here didn't make it to the final draft. But I think some of those things are important because these are the things that they wrestled with. And every session that they opened up with, just so that you know, in history, in, Washington, in Philadelphia, where they, where they put this together, when they gathered together as a Congress, what was the first thing that they did? They prayed. They prayed earnestly. They prayed for a long time. And they prayed one after the other. And they were seeking God earnestly because they understood how important this was and they wanted to get it right. And so apart from the scriptures, this is one of the greatest, these are, this and the Constitution are some of the greatest um, uh, pieces of, of legislation and pieces of, of writing that we have. Um, and I believe that they were in parts inspired by God because most when you look at the history of our founding fathers, one of the things that you're going to find, of all the books that are available to them, and they were a learned people. These guys were smart. They were pretty brilliant. They read a lot of books. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, TikTok. They didn't have two-minute attention spans. They could focus their minds on a lot of things, and they did. They delved deeply into things. And when you look at the history, what you're going to find is the most common thing that they quoted from. Out of all the books and everything that there is to read from and to learn from and to uh, pass on to the people, what was the most quoted thing that they wrote about and that they quoted? The Bible. They quoted the Bible more than anything. They understood this is where liberty is instituted and founded because it's what God has given. Our freedoms and our liberties come from God, not from government. Teach your children and your grandchildren these things because it's true. And because it's not instituted by the government, guess what? The government cannot just arbitrarily take them away like they have. That's on us. And one of the ways you can judge that, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but one of the ways that you can judge how far you're willing to allow the government to steal your freedoms and liberties is how, um, 
how complacent or how uh, compliant you were to the pandemic. I did not comply. I didn't. I didn't stay home. We stayed open. I didn't wear a mask. I didn't do any of those things because I remember my basic science that I learned when I was a kid, when I was going through high school. I remember the basic science. I remember how those things worked. And I didn't let the government tell me. And I got in trouble for it. There's places that I couldn't go shopping because I refused to do it. Um, so ask yourself, how compliant were you? You can reverse that. You can decide now and, and, and forevermore go, you know what, never again. And that's okay. Because there are times when we should throw off this government. How do I know? Because of this declaration. Okay? So let's read it real quick, and then we'll, we'll get into the scriptures. It says, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth and separate the equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God, notice he's invoked here, nature didn't come about just on its own, so unlike the lie of evolution, which I, that's my opinion, I believe it's a total lie, I believe it's false. It's science fiction. It doesn't make sense. It's absurd. You can't get everything in the creation from nothing. Nothing doesn't create everything. Right? You, it's okay to say amen. You don't have to be afraid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, nature's God entitled them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Notice they said we're created. We didn't just come out of goo. It's not goo to you. It's creation. And we're going to get into this when we get into the scriptures. Um, it fits right with what, where we're at. Um, all men are created equal. So there's your equality for those people that want to cry about equality. Well, there it is. We're all equal, okay? Um, that they are endowed by their creator with inherent and unalienable rights. And among these, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, or of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and to abolish it. That's our right. It's to alter and abolish. And to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations begun at a distinguished period and pursuing invariably uh, the same object, like 2020, um, 
evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government, to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to expunge or alter their former systems of government, their former systems of government. The history of present king of uh, Great Britain is a history of unremitting, repeated injuries and usurpations, among which appears no solitary fact to contradict the uniform tenor of the rest, but all have, have in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world for the truth of which we pledge a faithful, or excuse me, a faith yet unsullied by falsehood. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I want to finish with this, because this is how they ended this declaration. There's a lot of things. You can go online and find this. You can find the one that, this copy that has the stuff that wasn't omitted, and you can find the final draft that is most of the books. They end with this. We therefore, the representatives of, representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these states reject and renounce all allegiance and subjection to the kings of Great Britain and all others who may hereafter claim by or through or under them, we utterly dissolve all political connection with uh, which may heretofore have subsided between us and the people or parliament of Great Britain. And finally, we do assert and declare these colonies to be free and independent states. Colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and are of right to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states we have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, and establish commerce to do all the acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They were willing to lay it all on the line, in other words. And you notice what they appealed to, the providence of Almighty God. This is a, a part in parcel of where we're at here in, in Isaiah. Because God here, as we were in the word last, uh, um, when, when here last, in verse 17 of chapter 45 of Isaiah, God had mentioned something to his nation, to his people. In verse 17 of chapter 45, he says this, Israel has been saved by Yahweh, or the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. And the reason why I want to uh, um, kind of reiterate that and, and talk about that, because it is a weekend of freedom. 
its liberties. And what God is declaring here is just that. They're saved. They're saved from the penalty of sin. How do I know that? Well, he says it's eternal. He says that it's an everlasting salvation. So it's not just one that's immediate, like within the immediate few years or however many years, or in this case when he's talking about Cyrus, as I've said over and over again, and you're probably sick of me saying it, this was 150 years off yet, right? Somebody that didn't exist, he's talking about, he said, this is how I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to free you, and I'm going to use this person. And then he says, but know this, Israel, that there's salvation that I have for you, and it's everlasting. It's eternal. He's not just talking about immediate one. They would be set free. They would be set free from Babylon. And they would come back to their own place and rebuild the temple. They would re-enter into worship of Yahweh. As blemished as it was, they were going to do that. And so what's going on here is God is saying, I provided salvation and it's eternal. It's not just immediate. And that's the hope that we have in Christ, in God. He says in verse 18, For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens. So this is Isaiah making that proclamation, and as we go on, we'll see that it's actually God himself as well, speaking through the prophet. He says that he is the one who created the heavens, which, by the way, is why I reject evolution. Because if evolution is true, then God is a liar. Right? It's, it's, yeah, God does not lie. And he says, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He wants us to understand that. Sometimes we're told in this life, and, and more and more kids have been told this lie, that we're all part of being just, uh, we're, we're, we're uh, part of the animal kingdom. We're just, part, we're just a, a more developed species of animal. Reject that. We're not. We're not animals. God created man separately after he created all the animals. That's what the account tells us. If God created everything, he created the animals on, a, on the same day, but he created man last. And man was his crowning achievement, if you will. As flawed as we are, <clears throat> we were the pinnacle of God's creation because we were given stewardship over his creation. It says that God is the one who created the heavens. And it says so unabashedly. Notice it's not trying to prove it. It's not sending you some direction to where you can go and find and make sure that this is true. It just assumes it. The Bible always assumes that God is God and that he created everything. The Bible assumes that before there was a heavens and an earth, that there was God. That's what the Bible assumes. And so it never tries to prove that God is. It never tries to even prove as Him as the, um, as the Creator. It just simply states it. The Lord who created the heavens, by the way. And then He says, He is Elohim. He's God. Who formed the earth and made it. You get the picture of a clay, a potter that's making something out of clay. You get that picture. He made it. He formed it. And if you remember what it says in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, in beginning, 
It says, In beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. This is, this is going to uh, play a part in the, in the uh, message here in, in a minute. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God... So you have God, who's created the heavens, and you have the Spirit of God, so you have at least two persons of the Trinity, and in fact, all three are really involved in beginning to make the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the, of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God is the one who created the heavens, and it says, He is the God who formed the earth and made it, and he established it and did not create it a waste place. Now, what does that mean? And formed it to be inhabited. When God formed the heavens and the earth, it was intentional. There was an intent behind it. God had a purpose for it. And part of that purpose was so that it would be inhabited. Um, during around Christmas time, we talked about the Goldilocks principle. When it comes to creation and what we see. How the earth is in its perfect position and in the arms of the, uh, um, the universe that we're in, in the Milky Way, the arms, when they, they kind of spin around and you can, you can see they kind of just swing around like, like that. All the arms are just kind of... We're placed in the universe right where we're at so that the Milky Way doesn't block our view of the rest of the universe. It's in the right place. It's just in the right distance from the sun. We went through all of those things. This is what this is confirming, that God created the earth to be inhabited. And remember what the first thing that God said when he created man. When he says in, in, uh, um, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and on, he says, he made man in the image of God. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And then what did he say? He blessed them. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's what God intended all along. This whole idea of overpopulation, nonsense. God has always said, fill the earth. Why? Because it's inexhaustible. As long as God is alive, there's going to be plenty. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. But there is. And when you have groups of people that are out there lighting fires all over the world and burning farms down and doing all those things, that doesn't mean that there's not enough. It means that they're trying to cut some of the population because they've believed a lie. God says, no, I've intentionally made the heavens and the earth and I made it to be populated. I made it to be inhabited. Who is it to be inhabited by? Well, animals but also, yeah, his creation and us. We're included. Yes. Primarily, that's what it is. And it's for his glory. God has done it intentionally, meaning that we have intention, we have purpose in life. Evolution cannot give you that. But God does. He says there's a purpose. I made you with a purpose. When I made you, I made you distinctly who you are. There's nothing that God does that is with fault. God does everything with intentionality. And he makes everything as it's supposed to be. And then he says in verse 19, I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. 
I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. So he's saying, I, I don't do these things hidden away. I tell you exactly what's going on. I don't keep the truth from you. I don't hide the truth. And these are, in, in a way, it's the way that Jesus responds to the people of his time. In the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, Jesus says the same thing. Remember when they came to get him? The Garden of Gethsemane? In Matthew, <clears throat> in Matthew, um, primarily here, uh, when they came to get Jesus, um, this is what Jesus is recorded have, as having said, said on the day that he was accosted by these people. In Matthew 26, verses 55 and 56. So imagine that they're at the, at the garden. It's at the nighttime. His disciples are with him. They've gone there. He's gone there to pray. His disciples have fallen asleep because they're tired. And they couldn't even stay awake for one hour, as Jesus said. And then, out of nowhere, comes this crowd. And it says in verse 55, At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, the ones who had come to arrest him, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So the disciples, they chickened out. They're like, we're gone, we're out of here. Sorry, Jesus, but see you later. And Jesus is saying, I didn't do any of these things in secret. It's the same kind of idea and the same kind of uh, language that Jesus uses as Yahweh there in Isaiah. I didn't hide it from you. I haven't just spoken in secret. He's spoken through his prophets over and over and over again. And he told the people exactly what was going to happen. And he told them what was needed for them to return. Just repent and come back. Believe in me. Believe me. Believe me so that you can be saved. Because I have, I have salvation for you. And it's eternal. And it's not just speaking of Israel itself. Because eternal salvation belongs to those who believe. And the only way that you can have this eternal life is through receiving Christ. Jesus said you must be born again. And apart from being born again, it's something that we don't do. And the way that I like to explain it is real simple. It's, as a, as a child, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, what choice did you have in being made and being conceived? I, I don't know if you guys have seen how crazy things have gotten out there. There's a video of people who are suing their parents because they didn't ask their permission to conceive them. That makes my brain hurt. It's like, what? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine suing your parents because they didn't ask your permission to be conceived to come into the world? It's silly. It's ridiculous. But I'm not kidding you. This is a serious thing. And what's sad is there are lawyers and there are judges 
who will listen to this garbage. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, we're in a time where things are so topsy-turvy and, and turned around. But when we're, we're conceived, we didn't have a choice in the matter. It just, that's just the way it was. And that's the way it is when we're born again. God comes and he causes us to come to life. He convicts us of our sin because we're all sinners. All of us are. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And everyone can come to the foot of the cross. And that's the wonder of the cross, is that we can all go there. But we have to receive him. Because the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. You have to receive him. And it's, you're, you're basically adopted into his kingdom. And even adoption explains it. There's kids today that are in agencies and that are in orphanages, and what is their one desire? They want to be adopted. They want a mom and a dad. They want a family. They want to be part of something. But who has control? Can they just decide who their parents are going to be? No. It's the same thing with being born again. It's something that God does. And maybe you're being convicted of your sin even now. Because we're all sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need Him. That's the only way that we're ever going to get into heaven. It's through Him. It's through Christ. Jesus is not a liar, and when He speaks and says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. He wasn't just saying that to stand alongside a bunch of other quote-unquote holy men. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was stating the unequivocal truth. That he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that there's no other way. And I know that strikes on some people, it strikes this, well, how could, how could there only be one way? There's so many billions of people with all these different beliefs and they have their own, their own religions Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one through whom everything was made. That's what John tells us. John opens up his book by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was nothing made that was made. He is central in what we're reading here in Isaiah, where he says, The Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth. This is the same word that John is speaking of in John chapter 1. Everything was made through him. And in Colossians, Paul goes even further and he says, everything was made through him, by him, and for him. You get it? It's all his. And so he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You're trying to get to me any other way, he says, and you're tired because you know that you can't. He says, stop. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that because Jesus says, I will give you rest. 
What is it that we want? We want rest. We want to know that we're at peace with God. Within us is the knowledge. Every single person has been given the same thing. Remember what the, what the declaration said? We are created by a creator with certain inalienable rights. And part of those rights are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I believe that they were not just talking about this life. I believe that the founding fathers were talking about that life. That we could get life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness through that life. Through the life in Christ. That's the only way that we can be saved. And there is no other way. And it's really simple. Uh, Travis's dad, when he heard the simple gospel, we're all sinners and we need a Savior and Jesus can save you. And he just said, I, I, want, I want that. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. That was part of my conversion. I didn't want to go to hell. And I had come to know that I understood that. I was convicted of my sin. And I realized it. And I had a lot. I had a big bundle on my back. And like Travis's dad, when he was done praying, he said something that a lot of people say. I felt light. I felt like I could float. Because the burden had been lifted. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the Greek there, he says definitively, you will find rest for your soul. Because he says, I'll give you that rest. Just like he's saying here, I've given you life. It's eternal. It's salvation. It's for all eternity. And you'll never be disappointed in it. And that's what he offers. And that's what we need to grasp onto. God made it a place, the earth, to be inhabited, to be inhabited by his people to glorify him to know Him, and to tell other people, I see that you're hopeless. I see that you're in pain. I see that you're hurting. I see that you're in a place of darkness. I know one who can light your way. I know one who can heal your pain. I know one who can assure your doubts. I know one who can heal you inside in your brokenness. I know one who can do all those things and more, and he'll grant you eternal life. If you'll just receive him, trust in him, run to him, you'll find your greatest victory in him. You'll find your greatest proponent for your life for your hope, for your brokenness. He'll heal all those things. doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It just means that you're justified with God because you're justified by God. And if He's the one who justifies and He does it because He adopts you and He chooses you and He changes you and He convicts you of your sin and you receive Him, guess what? Paul says it this way. 
Who's going to bring a charge? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? If he's the one who justifies, then who's going to bring a judgment against you? He's both just and the justifier, he says in the book of Romans. So trust in him. He's the one who will do it. And that's what communion is all about. We commemorate that. We commemorate the price that Christ paid for us. Because he indeed did that. He did what is done in adoption. You know how much money it costs to adopt? In different states it's a little bit different. At least six to $10,000 per kid. It's not cheap. But that's nothing compared to the price that Jesus paid on the cross for our lives, for our sinfulness, to pay the judgment that we deserve. And he paid it all. He didn't pay it in part. He didn't pay it, just a little bit of it. He didn't pay most of it, and then you have to pay just the last little tiny bit. He pays it all. Maybe you're thinking, that doesn't seem fair. Well, it's not about fairness. It's about what is just. Jesus was perfect, and he lived the perfect life, and he earned the right to die on that cross and to take our sin. He lived that way so that he could do that. And because of the joy set before him, he didn't keep his eyes on the cross. He had his mind and his heart set on the things that were before him, the joy that is set before him. And what is that joy? Is one day you'll come into his presence. And that same Jesus, with those nail-scarred hands, will wipe away all your tears. He will wipe away all your tears. He will embrace you and say, welcome. Like Carrie said earlier, you don't want to be the one that says, away from me, those on the left. Away from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. And these were people who say, no, Jesus, I did all these things. It's by faith. It's by grace through faith. Just trust in Him. Receive Him. And be made new. I want to read what uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 11. Um, this is our go-to um, communion passage. And Paul is speaking to the people of Corinth. And he's letting them know what he had received. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, which we will do in a little bit. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, that's what he did. He did it for you. He said, I'm giving my body, and I laid it down to pay the price for your sin. And by his blood, we're cleansed. When we receive him by faith, by grace through faith. And then he says, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you've received Christ, then please, by all means, what we do here is we'll uncover the, the, the elements. We'll do a song. Spend some time, as Paul says here, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, it's important to proclaim the Lord's death. Not just the fact that he's risen. By the way, we serve a risen Christ. Yeah. Truly he's risen. Yeah. And so that's the privilege that we get to do. We have a Savior who's alive. And he's living within us. And so we can do everything that he calls us to do and commands us to do. And you don't have to be afraid. Don't listen to that voice in your head that says, I can't do this. In fact, acknowledge it. So you're right, I can't. I can't, voice. I can't do that. But I know the one who can, and he can do it through me. And so I'm just going to plug away and do it. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man, and here you can actually just let mankind, because men and women, examine him or herself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. And as I've said many times, this means that's not, you know, just taking a nap. They're not in the back room laying on a mattress. He says, these guys aren't taking the long dirt nap. That's and he says, because they didn't judge themselves correctly. So judge yourself rightly. If you've received him, partake. That's what it's for. It's for those who have received him. You proclaim his death. He died for you, and that you believe that. And if you've received him, then by all means, then partake. But more importantly, if you've never been baptized, baptize, be baptized. Because that's what we're told to do. Believe, be baptized, and then partake. And then just go do what Jesus called us to do. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Making disciples of the nations. That's what we're to do. I don't know about you, but I want to be a discipler. And that's what we're called to do. To make disciplers. Not just make disciples, make disciplers. People who can disciple others to go and preach the gospel. That's what this is all about. And that's the eternal salvation that God speaks of. The one who made the heavens and the earth. That's what he offers to us. It's intentional. It's purposeful. And it's meaningful. The question is, will you grab onto that and thank Him and praise Him? Take a moment and examine yourself as we're doing this. And um, while the music is going, we can come up and partake or just take uh, the, the elements, the, the wine and, the, and the, the bread, and just hold on to it because we're going to take it all as one family, as one communion. And then we will we'll do that um, at the appropriate time. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness and grace of the freedoms and the liberties that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for the price that he paid. Thank you for sending Jesus. Otherwise, we would all be facing the same judgment. 
eternal contempt and an eternal torment. But we just thank you, Lord. We're so grateful for all that Jesus has done. It's all about him. He is the glorious one. And we remember what he did. And we acknowledge that here in this place. Unabashedly, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. Have your way amongst us, Lord, as we commemorate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. transgressions he was crushed for our sins punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds by his wounds we are healed he was for our transgressions
Father, like the uh, matzah, when you see the full piece of the bread, see the stripes, you see the piercing, it's representative of what Jesus gave for us, what he endured. Thank you for the bread of life, it is Christ Jesus our Lord, who gave his life on the cross so we might live. Lord, we thank you, praise you, the sustenance that is the bread of life even Jesus, our sacrifice that is eternal. Thank you for eternal salvation for what Jesus has done. We bless you, we thank you, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, take it. Father, in the same way, blood represents that price that was paid sinners like us might be justified before God. That we might know that we have peace with him. And that he has forgiven us. We thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you join me for our last song before we were uh, dismissed to go? Blessed are 
thank you for the blessed assurance that we have because you are the one who has saved us. And that salvation is eternal, just as we read. We thank you that you have declared it, that you don't save just for the moment, you save for eternity. And we'll stay saved as long as we live. And from the moment that we are saved, it's eternal. Hallelujah. What a glorious God that you are. What a gracious King. What a merciful God. Thank you, Lord, for everything. We pray that you would bless the food that we're about to partake in in our time of fellowship. And Lord, we just thank you. We can gather. We can worship you. Thank you for the liberties and the freedoms that we have. That you have granted. We praise you. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee and keep thee and keep thee. Lord make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee and keep thee and keep thee. Lord make his face to shine upon thee. Amen. Mm -hmm.